Welcome to the New Money Habits Podcast, where we talk about how to create a better plan for your money so you don't have to live paycheck to paycheck. Here are your hosts, Sarah Jones and Nino Villa. Welcome back, Budgeteers. Coach Nino Villa here. Alongside me, my partner on the airways, as always, Sarah Jones. And we're bringing back Christine Stevenson for another uh, rendition of tax planning, but for this time for that gig worker, uh, the, the, the independent contractor and the alike. Uh, so looking forward to having that conversation. But as we always do, got to check in with Sarah. Sarah, where are you and what are you up to? <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hello, Nino. Hello, Christine. Nice to have you back. Um, Thank you. We are in Colorado um, for a couple of weeks, a shorter trip than what we would normally be here, but um, it's giving us an opportunity to see friends and family and, um, you know, just some of those things that we miss being on the road. You know, sometimes being on the road can be very lonely. Um, it's just my husband and I, and, you know, don't tell him this, but I might get kind of tired of his company all the time. And so it's nice to be back with <laughs> friends and family <laughs> for a short while. <laughs> All right. Um, I I cannot relate. I'm sorry. I'm attached to my wife at the hip and uh, enjoy that. But at the same time, you, know, you get a little cabin fever. I would imagine cabin fever is a real deal for you, Sarah. Well, and I think that's, Nino, go from, I don't know what size of home you have, but shrink it down to 400 square feet. And while my husband and I get, you know, we spend a lot of time together and I can handle him, but 400 square feet is a whole different ballgame. So <laughs> that puts it into perspective. I can appreciate that. <laughs> well, as I said, we have Christine with us again today. And just as a reminder, if you guys missed uh, our last episode with Christine, did a great job just breaking down tax planning for uh individual wage workers, W-2 employees. Um, but to remind our listeners, Christine is a speaker, author, and talk radio show host. She has worked as a tax examiner and is a, currently a tax resolution specialist and personal financial coach. She's the author of a book called How to Avoid Trouble with the IRS, 10 Best Tax Tips for the Self-Employed Gig Worker and Indie Contractor. And we're excited to have her back to talk specifically to that audience of our listeners. And so if I could have you, I know we did this last time, but I'm going to have you do it again for us, Christine. Would you tell us a little bit about what a gig worker is? What does that mean? And who are we talking to? Yes, yes, absolutely. And thanks again. Really glad to, to be back here. Excited to share some strategies and tips. So a gig worker is a person that often works from home. That's a great way to describe a gig worker, a freelance person, someone that does graphic design. They're my, they're my favorite. I have a son that's a graphic designer. He's a gig worker. Someone that works in uh, TV and film, perhaps. They go around to film sets and they do lighting. They work on the lighting crew or the camera crew. I have two daughters in that industry. They are gig workers. It's not the traditional, what we think of as a traditional self-employed person, such as a, uh, a painter or a home builder, a roofer. Those are more traditional self-employed type jobs. The gig worker is the Uber driver. I think that's the example I used last time. Someone that is fully self-employed, but going out and finding different 
different uh, businesses or people to work for. And it's, it's not just this one thing necessarily or one area that they work in. Like a painter would go from house to house to house painting. A freelancer would work for a marketing company or an insurance company or a tax company. They're, they're, they're going to go out and oops, offer their services to all these different companies and, and make their income. And they are an independent contractor. They're a gig worker. Different names, but essentially the same thing. Yeah, it's a gig I, worker. And I shared this last time where I, I've realized over the, my the last ten years of my career or so, where um, I've done some freelancing work. I couldn't tell people I was an independent contractor because they got that that image in their head that I was like out, you know, swinging a hammer, putting. Uh, homes together. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I'm doing. So I had to change it to freelancer because I think now, uh, nowadays people understand like freelancer, like, oh, okay. So you are independent. You're, you're kind of self-employed. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think the, the biggest freelance job most people are familiar with is like freelance writing, right? So mm-hmm. yep. if I wrote for a, a bunch of different uh, news outlets or whatever the case may be, but all these Uber drivers, these Lyft drivers, people driving for DoorDash and and the alike, they too are freelancers. They're independent contractors who are self-employed um, and, and who are being paid as self-employed, right? They are not an employee of Uber or an employee of Lyft. And so um, if that's you, this episode's for you because... Christine's going to help us do a little tax planning and tax strategy for how do I make sure that I don't get in trouble yes, with the Yes, how to avoid trouble with the IRS. <laughs> Hence the name of the book. Oh, is that, <laughs> yeah. is that how that book wow. came about? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I just, I'm, I'm very passionate about this because uh, I spent seven years at the IRS and I saw thousands of tax returns. I spoke to thousands of people across the country. I mentioned this on the last show. And and I would talk to them about their their self-employment income. And I'm talking about the sole proprietors, the people that are an LLC, the single member LLC, not someone that's got a partner or partners, nothing like that, single member LLC. And, and the mistakes that were made or it could have been avoided so easily if they had just air quote just done some very simple things. Uh, quick story: one of my very first clients, a plumber, sole proprietor. By the time I met him, owed five hundred thousand dollars to the IRS. That's half a million dollars, and he's he's now he's fifty eight. He was fifty six when I met him. And he, he brings home about $350,000. That's his gross revenue for the year. And his net income to himself is about thirty-five dollars or $40,000. He owed the IRS $500,000. He owed the state some money for employment taxes he hadn't paid. He owed the county back taxes for property. The Department of Justice was involved. A revenue officer was, was this close to padlocking his business, which is bad enough. But he lives inside his business. He's literally, he has a warehouse. He's carved out some space like a little apartment. So he would have not only had his business padlocked, but his personal residence as well. And this was from lack of doing simple things, paying self-employment taxes, estimated taxes. He didn't do that for many, many years, of course. Mm. But anyway, I mean, I've got hundreds of stories like this. Basic stuff, the basic stuff works. 
So this is why I love to do this. I, I want people to avoid this trouble. So yeah, and you know, I appreciate you sharing your uh, your client story. Um, hitting a little closer to home, um, you know, when I first got started doing my independent contracting work, I found myself in the same place where um, out of out of a mindset of fear and mm-hmm. and uh, a mindset of lack, you know, as as money kind of rolled in, it was like it's great now. But I don't know when the next contract's coming. So I would hoard said money to cover me in in times when um you know there was uncertainty or or possibly there wasn't even a contract. So I remember in, in twenty seventeen uh, I made really good money for the first six months of the year. And then mm-hmm. the contract came to an end. And so instead of paying any taxes to date on that. I was like, I need this money to help me to just maintain until the next contract comes along, um, which took four or five months. But even when the next contract came, I didn't necessarily feel the urgency to pay taxes. And so I found myself in this very Mm -hmm. same mindset of what do I do and how do I manage this? And so where would you say, Christine, somebody like myself or the plumber should have started? Where do we get started? So some of the the first starting steps when you decide to sell widgets out of your garage, freelance, whatever it is you're going to do, the best thing you can do is open a business checking account. Literally, um, that's that's like the, one of the very first things you need to do. And to do that, you you need in my you, you need to get an EIN, an employer identification number. It's free. Get it from the IRS. It takes about 10 minutes. Most financial institutions want an EIN to open a business bank account. And if that's the only thing you do is open that business account and run all your income and all your expenses through that account, you are light years ahead of the game with that one action. And it is not difficult to open a business bank account, a checking account. I would say also open a business savings account. But literally, I mean, that's that's like steps or tax tips number one and two in the book is you've got to do this. And it it serves multiple purposes. But once you have that business account open, you are you are well on the way. So that's pretty easy, easy first step. And my my plumber that I'll reference didn't do that. He was commingling his money. All of his business money and personal money were going through the same account, his personal account, which got him into trouble. If you're a realtor listening to this, uh, uh, you need to you need to have this account open because realtors, especially, and this is what I see in my work, my tax resolution work, especially area that I I work in, realtors will get nice big commission checks, and they don't set any money aside to eventually pay the tax that's going to come on that income. And so by the time they come to me years down the road, they've repeated this cycle over and over. Just like you said, not from from willful intention, ah, I'm going to screw the IRS and not send them any money. Mm-hmm. That's not what it is. It's lack of knowledge. You don't know how to, what to do or fear or who knows what. And so these simple things open that business account. That's That's a step to help you. A bunch of small steps add up. To, to put you in in a good in a good standing for yourself and with the IRS. So that's the number one thing. Open a business account. 
I would throw in, get the excuse me, to this conversation a little bit too, that even if you're setting money aside for taxes, and this goes back to the fear, doing something is better than doing nothing, right? And so even if you are not saying saving all the money, you know, for realtors, right? Even if you're not putting aside the entire tax liability at once, a little bit, getting into the habit of doing something new, getting into the habit of planning your money, right? Um, putting aside a little bit is better than doing nothing at all because nothing at all catches up to you and nothing at all creates massive problems that are oftentimes full of fear, full of frustration and cause it's this big ripple effect, right? If you're doing something, it's easier to um, build on that. You're showing, hey, I'm trying. I might not have all the knowledge, but I'm trying, right? I, um, I'm working on this. I want to do, you know, what's right with my money. So I just want to throw out there that it's not an all or nothing. It's about building these habits in, these small steps, these disciplines in that um, really make a huge impact, even if it's not a hundred percent perfect right away. That's, that's okay. And I'm so glad you say that, Sarah. I literally, I wrote that in the book, doing something is better than nothing. If, if more people did something rather than nothing, they would, there'd be a lot less headache and heartache out there. And, and so what is, what does it mean to do something? What are we talking about? We're talking about doing something with the money that we earn as a self-employed person. Maybe you take 5%, or if you've never done this, start with 1% of your, of your money that you make in a month and take 1% and transfer it from your business checking account over to your business savings account. Set that money aside, develop that habit. And so now you have some money set aside to send the IRS when it comes time to pay the IRS. So I love that. Thank you for saying that. Something is better than nothing. So, so big, so huge. Um, and I know so many people again that, that don't. And, and sometimes I'll get pushback when I have this conversation and I'll, I'll suggest an amount, you know, set aside 5%, 10%. I like to say 10% because most people get 10% conceptually and we understand the 10% easily. And people will argue, well, 10%, that's not enough. They'll say, you know what? It might not be enough. You're right. 10% of something is better than 0%, nothing. Mm. And so if you have it there and it turns out you don't need the 10%, great. You have a little bit of savings automatically built in. And if it turns out you owe 20%, well, you've got half of it saved. And what a, what a relief that is to at least, well, at least I can pay half of it right now. That's huge. So that, that's a big thing, setting aside that money. Um, I want to circle back to, like you said, it is super simple to get an EIN, essentially mm-hmm. a social security number for your business, right? That tax, yep. that, that uh, tax identification number. And then with that, you're going to open up at least a business checking account. But in an ideal world, mm-hmm. you said you'd also have a savings account. Uh, is there is there anything else you would su- suggest there? Because I know for me personally, I needed more than just the checking and the savings account. I actually needed a little bit more. But I'm I'm wondering, like, what's the ideal sweet spot for a business owner? How many accounts should they have, and what purposes should each of those serve? Great, great question. So, at a minimum, 
the checking and the savings. But in an ideal world, I will, I will say that I am a, I'm a fan of Mike Michalowicz, Profit First, and he likes to recommend five different accounts. But if you are, you know, brand new, if you're newly self-employed and, and maybe you're maybe making five, 10, $15,000, not, not a whole lot yet. I would say three accounts, honestly, two that are checking and one that's savings. Because all your income is going to go into checking account number one. And then checking account number two can become one of two things. You got to pay yourself. Okay. Or you have to have some money set aside for the expense of running your business. Have some money set aside just to run your business. An internet connection, Zoom, calendaring system, maybe, um, I don't know. Uh, what, what else do people need here when they're first starting out? Well, you know, I'll tell you, you what. What I've noticed is that the Google suite it, for $6 a month, there you go. Google will give you obviously um, a, a URL. So if you wanted to build a website and they, they have a, a tool to do that, but then you have a professional uh, email account, you have a calendar tool, you have the ability to send and receive emails. Obviously, uh, it comes with um, a video uh, chat function like Zoom in mm -hmm. Google Meets. So it's like all in one for six bucks a month. But anyway, that that's a that, complete that's a that's an operating expense. That's a great example. So yeah, six bucks. Make sure you're going to have that six bucks six bucks set aside every month. So that that kind of an account an in an account to receive the income, an account for your business expenses, and then the savings account. Those are really the three primary beginning accounts I, I would recommend. And look around. You don't You could maybe look go to your own bank, but they might kind of nickel and dime you. You know, eight ninety five fee for this, fifteen ninety five for that, thirteen dollars if you don't have X amount of transactions per month. Shop around. There are many online banks. There's there's not a brick and mortar, but it's an online bank and it's secure, FDIC insured. And you can you can use their banking platforms, and they're not going to charge you those ridiculous little fees for all of the uh, for all of the accounts that you're running. I use a bank that's in Texas and Oklahoma. I'm in Texas, and my bank is um, doesn't charge me any fees, and I have uh, five accounts with this one particular bank, and they all do they all do different things. So um, three at a minimum to answer your question. Five five gets a little bit more detailed, a little bit more complex, but but. Um, Three is great. And the, and the one thing I will say about your savings account, eventually the money that you're putting in your savings account, you're going to take that money and you're going to send it to the IRS as an estimated payment. And so the question becomes, how do I get that money to the IRS? And the system that there are multiple ways, but the system I recommend and I use personally is EFTPS, the Electronic Federal Tax Payment System. EFTPS.gov. Again, another free system. Takes about five minutes to set up part one, which is your name, your address, your social security number, and your bank. And that's where I was going with this. When you open your business savings account, link that savings account to your EFTPS account. That makes it run very, very smoothly when it's time to make your estimated payments. Because now 
you get to choose, once your account is all set up on EFTPS, you get to choose the amount you want to send the IRS and the date, and then they will automatically draft it out of your account. So it's, it's set it and they'll, and they'll take it out. It makes it super easy and very efficient. And again, it's free. And, and there are four times a year at a minimum, the IRS wants you to make these payments. April 15th, June 15th, September 15th, and January 15th of the following year. And what I recommend is setting, setting a calendar reminder. Again, this is a system. Systems and processes are so huge when you're self-employed. When you, when you create these things for yourself, when you automate these things, it's huge. It's a time saver. And this is how you avoid trouble with the IRS. Go into your calendar, whether you use Google or iCal, whatever, Outlook, set a reminder date two days before the payment is due. If the payment due date is September 15th, set a reminder for September 13th on your calendar. Send tax payment to the IRS, you know, whatever language you want to use. And so you go into EFTPS and you set the amount, whatever's in your savings account or whatever you amount you want to send and set that up and off it goes to the IRS and you are in compliance. And that's a great thing to, that's a great feeling to have. Oh, I made my tax payment. And then when it comes time to file your tax return, now you get to take credit for it. You will not regret having a tax credit from payments you've made throughout the year on your tax return. You will be very happy you've disciplined yourself and made those small little steps along the way. So EFTPS, it's your best friend. That's a system I like to recommend to use. And for me, it helps. Do either of you have EFTPS accounts? <laughs> Yeah, I do. Sorry. I do. And okay, no, and, and and I think it just it, it it brings in more peace of mind, right? It it takes out some of the unknowns when tax time comes around like, "Oh, do I owe? Am I going to get a refund? Like if I owe, crap, how am I going to pay for it?" When you set up your estimated payments, you know that you're contributing to it, right? You're reducing the stress mm -hmm. that comes along in. And we talk about that a lot on this show. You know, how do you re reduce financial stress? Well, one way as a self-employed, as a gig worker, right, is sending in the estimated payments, right? And and contributing to that stress reduction. Again, I always go back to choices, guys. Like you don't, the IRS um, doesn't have to be your friend, but it's not your enemy either, right? It, it's not your enemy. Right. And and by following a couple of these simple steps that, Christine, that you're laying out here, I think you're you're reducing stress. You're getting yourself that discipline, those new money habits that we always talk about, right? And you're really setting yourself up for, um, quote unquote, doing things the right way, right? Taking the question and the fear out and just um, handling it. Yeah. It, it, and that's, that's so true. Again, I, uh, you know, another, another story I have, um, I have a, uh, a, a chiropractor that, uh, that I helped. And these are people that come to me. It's not tax preparation. These are people that come to me for, for tax resolution. They give me their power of attorney and I negotiate with the IRS on, on the resolution to the problem. Chiropractor, it's done very well. Two three hundred thousand dollars a year is his income, his his gross income, not his net income. And uh, turns out he hadn't filed tax returns for many, 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 many years. And somehow he was not on the IRS radar. Well, up he popped on the radar, and the IRS sent him a letter that says, "Hey, you owe sixty thousand dollars. You've got thirty days to pay it." That's the typical 
this typical IRS letter. So he went into panic mode and eventually found me. And as we, as I learned more about his situation, I realized he, he didn't have, again, these basic systems set up. He didn't have a business account. His money was flowing in and out of his personal checking account. Uh, he didn't have any kind of, of a way to send, well, first he wasn't even sending money to the IRS, but he didn't have a system. And I said, okay, you need to go to EFTPS and, and set up an account. And this is, this is how you're going to begin to do this. And instead of making a quarterly payment to the IRS, we work to say, you know what? You need to make a monthly payment. Do this monthly. Get into the habit of sending a monthly payment. So when the quarter comes, there's a chunk of money there and you can send it. So these, these, you know, I, I, I emphasize this for a reason. These two simple things, open a business account, you know, get the EFTPS thing going. This will save you heartache. And it is a nickname your account, my, my IRS stress reduction account. <laughs> Give it that name, you know, when you, when you form that, that bank account. Easy things to do. Christine, what if any advice or what would the conversation sound like? If you're talking to somebody like me when I, when this happened in 2017 and I, mm -hmm. so I have this large uh, contract for the first six months of the year and scarcity mindset sunk, sunk in. Right. And, and mm -hmm. so I held on to it. Had I like, how do you help somebody like myself overcome the fear of had I taken an, an, I don't mind sharing the actual numbers. Mm -hmm. So in the first six months, it was $60,000. And if, um, if I would have taken, you know, the 20%, because mm -hmm. that would have been ideal, right? Mm -hmm. That would have been what? 12 grand. Right? So 12 grand that I'm just handing over to the IRS. And then had another contract not come or whatever, like that 12 grand is also that represents about three months of income of, yes. uh, of household operating expenses for the household. Mm -hmm. How, what does that conversation sound like with somebody like me who is just like, I, but if I give it to them that I don't have it, for then you me don't and have my it. family. And right. Uh, right. No. And that's, I, I run into that and it is, uh, it is, it, it's a dilemma for sure. And so, when you, as you pay the IRS, you had six months of, you know, income at the beginning of the year, and then there was a dry spell. Mm -hmm. The conversation goes something like this. Uh, if it's after the fact, you know, it's one conversation. If it's while it's happening, you know that you're going to probably owe the IRS some money. I mean, we just, we, we know this it, intuitively. And, 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 and the conversation also involves, it gets into some strategy and some tax planning. We project. And so it's, uh, there's, there's, there's work to help you alleviate fear. There's running some numbers and, and looking into the future forecasting. This is what we do as self-employed people is we forecast into the future. But in the moment, if the only thing you do is even take the action of setting the money aside, and maybe you don't choose to send all of it, all 12 grand to the IRS. Maybe you're only going to send $500 because, because the fear or the realization of, oh, I might not get another job. You know, when's the next contract going to come? You do need that money potentially to live on. 
But then we're also going to segue into, all right, well, let's talk about your household expenses. What does that look like? And I find out you're spending 600 bucks every month eating out. Well, maybe we have to have a conversation about, well, you don't get to eat out for $600 anymore because that might be money that you need to send the IRS. So we, we cross from business into personal and we go, we go back and forth. And, and a, a key conversation I often have with self-employed people is how much money not only do you need to set aside for the IRS, but how much money do you need to put into your household budget? Hmm. That's a real key question. How much? You know, what is, are you the only income earner in the family? Is your, what is your, 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 your basic household needs? How much is that? Is that $4,000 every month? Well, you need to put at least $4,000 from your self-employment to your personal household. Hmm. So the, it's like an onion and we have to peel back yeah. all these layers, but really yeah. it's just the act of setting the money aside. You still have access to it. It's still there for you if you absolutely need it, but it's there with the intention of sending it to the IRS and maybe they only get a small piece up front. Hmm. That's one that. way to alleviate that. And it's, it's multiple conversations for sure. Right. Yeah. So it, it doesn't just usually happen all in one event. It's a series of small things that lead up to that. So that's a really yeah. good question. That, that's a great question. That's a real life example. Thank you for yeah. saying that, for sharing that, for sure. Absolutely. And by the end of that particular year, when I did my taxes, because um, another contract did come, it ended up being, I think I owed fifteen or $17,000. And that was my other problem, right? Is I waited until the end of the year mm -hmm. to file the, the taxes. And, and then I see this big number. And now I'm like, that's oh a lot gosh. of money. What versus yeah. had I made quarterly or monthly payments. And, but I didn't even know that until after filing the first year's taxes. Then the, mm -hmm. the government was all like, well, now you owe us quarterly. I, I didn't even know that that was a thing when I first yeah. got started. A, a great, great point. A lot of people don't. They have this brilliant idea they want to bring into the world, whatever it is they're making or doing, make money, you know, make the world a better place with whatever it is they're doing. And the last thing people are thinking about is, oh, I'm going to have to send the IRS some money, you know, and I have to do this quarterly. People don't know. There is no tax education. There's none. Not in schools. It's not like your parents teach you this. If they've had jobs and don't know anything about self being self-employed. It's it's not taught, and most people are not going to go read IRS publications or visit the IRS website necessarily. Although I will say there's some very good tools on the IRS website. If you Google IRS, should have had this this opened. Uh, I'm going to look it up really fast. It's the IRS um, Small Business Tax Workshop. It's mm. a series of videos. Lesson number two is a series of two, three, four-minute videos on pretty much everything related to being self-employed. And, and I'm really talking about the sole proprietors out there or the single member LLCs. And actually, let me, let me jump into that real quick. I get this question a lot. You know, should I form an LLC? You know, do I need to become an S corp? It's like, well, let's, let's dive into this. A sole proprietor, just you, is no different 
than being an LLC from a tax perspective. It is identical. You are both using Schedule C. There's no difference from a tax perspective. What the LLC does, an LLC is a limited liability company. And that is what we call an entity. An LLC is an entity, like an S-corp is an entity. That's the word we use. An LLC is something you create or form with your state. Wherever you live, you go to your state secretary's website and you form an LLC and the LLC limits the liability, if someone wants to sue you, to the value of the company, whatever the assets are of the company. Someone sues you and you've got $1,500 of savings and that's the, 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 the asset of your company. Well, they might get that $1,500. That's it. It protects you personally. It limits the liability to the company. And that's what an LLC is. It's something you form with the state. And it'll cost you anywhere from 50 bucks to $500, depending on what state you're in. And that's what it does. And for some people, it's very important. If you have a, if you have a high net worth, you have many assets and you're afraid that somehow, you know, we live in a very litigious society, unfortunately. And if you're afraid that, oh, someone might sue me personally, uh, even though I have this business, which they could do, but the business, you, the business is creating the thing, providing the service. You limit the liability to the business. It's a form of protection. But again, from a tax planning perspective, there is no difference. An LLC, a single member, just you, LLC is the same as a sole proprietor. It's very it's a Schedule C. That's what you're filing. So I want to jump into that and differentiate yeah. just a little bit between. So we kind of started off with this is for people in the gig economy. Mm-hmm. And so when when. Would you suggest, let's say I'm driving for Uber, Lyft, or DoorDash, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm a 1099 contractor. I am self-employed. At what point do I need to concern myself with any of this? Is there like a threshold? If, you know, what if I'm W-2 and I'm only making 10 or $15,000 a year to supplement my income from Mm -hmm. this side hustle? Is, Is there like this threshold of... You need to go from handling things casually to getting really serious about it. That's a great question. Uh, the more complex or the more moving parts to your business, then uh, you certainly want to be more formal and less casual. <laughs> you you want to get you want to get more detailed and be paying more attention. The question uh, may be that I hear a lot is when do I, when do I form an LLC? When do I know when to do that? Well, you can, you can do that at any time. It's really, you know, and there's some greater questions, but it's your level of comfort because the LLC acts like a little shield between you and the world. Whereas if you are a sole proprietor, I am a sole proprietor. I am not an LLC. I'm thinking of forming one. But right now, I'm a sole proprietor, and anyone that's you know driving for for Uber or uh, is a 3D graphic designer on Fiverr, uh, they're probably a sole proprietor. They may or may not have formed an LLC. And again, it's it's a degree of protection of comfort. But the big question I hear sometimes is, well, if I'm an LLC, you know, 
when uh, when should I change my filing status and with with the IRS? And I'm not talking about if you're married or divorced or anything like that. But you know, should I form what what's called an S corp? When do I when do I know to change from an LLC to an S corp? Which is a whole big conversation, but there's a there's another option. Maybe I'm going too deep here, so I have to be careful. But you could become an LLC with the state and elect to be taxed as an S corp. That is the most common question I get, which basically means I am now my own employee of my own company. You form an LLC. And you want to be taxed as an S-Corp because there's some tax advantages to that potentially. Now you're your own employee. And that's when the details really, really start to matter because now you have payroll tax to the IRS, to the state. You've got many more details, many more moving parts. And you want to be very thoughtful and careful and, and have some conversations with a tax professional. A CPA, an enrolled agent, that's what I am, an enrolled agent, someone that's experienced in that realm. and and go through the numbers. What does it really mean to form an LLC and elect to be taxed as an S-Corp? Because now you've got a whole other tax return you have to prepare. And that costs money. Six, seven, eight hundred dollars potentially for that. And payroll issues. So the more, the more detailed you get, the more moving parts you have, you, you have to pay more and more closer attention. And you may have to bring in help to help you with this. Whether that's a bookkeeper or an administrative assistant, how how well can you personally juggle all these details? You have to you have to kind of know yourself a little bit too. I think. Are either of you an LLC or are you sole proprietors? I am a sole proprietor. Okay. Mm-hmm. I have three LLCs, and one is. Uh, elected to be taxed as an S-Corp. Ah, okay. So you have moving parts. I I have a lot of moving parts. Um, So that question may have been a little bit selfish, (laughs) but I kind of want to go back to the the genesis of the question because like, I know that when I first started financial coaching, Mm -hmm. I was just kind of, I just put myself out there, let people know that this is what I was doing. And, you know, I had about a dozen clients and the first couple of years I was making somewhere between 10 and $15,000 a year, but it was certainly just supplementing mm-hmm. my, my W-2 work at the time. So because I was W-2 and I had taxes being taken out, I was, everything seemed to be going just fine um, when it came to tax time. Like that 10 to $15,000 was, I was obviously paying enough in additional taxes out of my w-2 work Mm -hmm. that when i when i reported the extra money i didn't all of a sudden oh i got a smaller refund smaller refund yes right but it wasn't affecting my tax situation it wasn't until i became a 1099 contractor full-time in 2017 that i didn't have a w-2 job withholding any federal taxes Mm -hmm. or state taxes for that matter that it was like I might need to do some of this stuff a little bit differently than I had been doing it prior because it was just working out. And so because I had I had financial coaching is one thing and independent contracting is something else, I formed two LLCs at that point. Mm-hmm. And the one ha- is the one that gets the big contracts and, and 
and whatnot. So it's like, oh, I could make that an S corp, and that's just the corporation's revenue. And then mm-hmm. I'm on payroll for a reasonable salary each mm-hmm. year, and all that stuff. I won't go way down into those. Yeah, things. But yeah. I'm going back to the point that, like, if I'm a W two employee and I'm making ten or twelve or fifteen grand on the side running Uber or whatnot, does this really apply to me? Yes, it can. Mm-hmm. And here's a really good way to tell if this self-employment tax stuff is going to matter, self-employment income. Look at your current year tax return. I think it's line 24 on the form 1040. Don't quote me on the line. <laughs> but if you owe tax, if your tax liability, if you owe $1,000 or more to the IRS, that's the sweet spot. And you're self, and you and you have wages, your W two income, and you have self employment income. It's going to be higher than a thousand dollars. I strongly recommend you make these estimated tax payments that you do as a self employed person four times a year. The IRS says four times a year. You can do it more often, but four times at a minimum. That's that's how you know. You know, how is this going to work out for me? And that's part of that. Even that estimator tool takes into account. There's a line. It says something like other income that you will make during the year for yourself or your spouse. And you forecast, oh, I'm going to make $15,000 this year of self-employment income. And you drop that number in. And then there's another little box that says something like uh, taxes that you have you know, paid to the IRS or estimated taxes you're going to pay to the IRS. Those are those estimated taxes. And you drop that number into this estimator tool. It's it's really strong and powerful. And again, it's going to project out through the year. Oh, you're going to owe or you're going to have a refund. So 10, 15,000 bucks, it might bump you into the next tax bracket. And so instead of paying you know 15% on your income, now you're going to pay 18% or whatever the, the brackets are. I don't have it memorized. So $1,000 of tax owed, that's the sweet spot. That's what you need to look for to know if you need to be making these estimated tax payments. That's that. That's for everybody, whether it's just wages or a combination of self-employment income and wages or strictly self-employment income. $1,000 or more, you need to be making estimated payments because over $1,000, the IRS is more likely to give you a penalty for underpayment of estimated taxes all year long. Those, those letters start coming out. See, taxes are due you know, April 15th. Those letters start arriving around May and June. I can't begin to tell you how many people uh, you know, contact me. Hey, I got this CP, I forget the number, CP 23 or 56 or whatever it is. The IRS says, says I owe $300 for underestimated taxes. Well, I, I'm not self-employed. I said, no, 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 it doesn't have anything to do with being self-employed. It has to do with the fact that as an employee all year long, you didn't have enough withholding tax come out of your paychecks. So you need to increase that. And then we go through the estimator tool and we talk about the form W-4. So $1,000, that's that That's that mark. So forecast, you got to look into the forecast. And this takes work and some planning. And as Sarah's saying is no, you know, what are your money habits? Yeah, and I just want to add so in, you know, just a little more setting, yeah, setting aside time to look at your money, guys, mm-hmm. like setting aside time 
to make these transfers from your checking to your business account. Setting aside time to make your estimated tax payments. Setting aside time to go through the estimator and, and do some forecasting, right? We're not talking hours and hours and hours, right? It really isn't that much. I think people, you might feel very overwhelmed with it, but it really isn't that much. And that's where these new habits really come into play. Setting aside, I say really set aside 30, 45 minutes, even an hour a month right? To really mm -hmm. go through and pick one area to kind of learn a little bit more in or to focus on, to look at, right? On top of your normal financial, I would call them financial responsibilities, right? But take some time to set aside to make these things happen, to educate yourself. You know, and I'm just going to throw out there, no longer can you use the excuse that you didn't know. We're giving you the information. We're giving you the details, right? It doesn't have to be scary. It's only scary because you're making it that way, right? So take the time, set aside, put it in your calendar. I'm going to show my, I put everything in my calendar. So I get reminders, right? My estimated it's on for Friday to make my estimated tax payment, you know, um, from the time that we're recording this, um, estimated tax payments are coming due pretty soon. I've got it on my calendar, right? As a reminder, hey, don't forget, make that payment, right? Because it's important to me. And as a business owner, we have certain responsibilities and your your tax liabilities are a responsibility of a, of a successful business owner. Yes, yes. And the IRS's view on that is people that are self-employed and, and you could... The only thing you're doing is driving for Uber. You're self-employed. You are a sole proprietor. The IRS is, the IRS's expectation is that air quotes, you take reasonable and prudent actions as a business owner, which is exactly what you're talking about. Sarah is setting aside time to look at your money, to put some money in the savings account, to send via EPS to the IRS on time. All these little, little things that aren't complicated, that will help you a great deal. Set, lots of business owners, lots of tons of books talk about the importance of, of not just working you know, on the business, but, you know, in the business and on the business. Administrative time working in the business. That's what you're talking about. I mentioned that in my book, how important that is to set aside time you know, once a month, an hour. That's it. Speaking of setting aside time, I think... Yes. Um, it, it is important for our listeners to know that you don't have to go about this all by yourself, right? Set aside time to actually talk to a pro like Christine. Set aside time to talk to myself or Sarah, but you don't have to go at this alone and that you can actually, um, you know, connect with somebody who is as well-versed as Christine is to help you take the right next steps for your business, whether you're just starting off driving for Uber or whether you're a chiropractor making $300,000 a year in gross revenues. Um, if this is something, if tax preparation planning and strategy is something you have not yet done, well, now is the time. Schedule a discovery call with Sarah, myself, Schedule time with Christine. We will make sure that the links are in the show description below. And during your personalized sessions, we'll discuss your specific financial goals. We'll gain clarity on your challenges. We'll explore how working with a financial coach can accelerate your progress. Don't miss out on this valuable opportunity. Book your free discovery call with Sarah or myself today and create the new money habits needed to achieve financial freedom. Christine, I want to thank you again for uh, spending time with us. Um, 
we might need to have you back on to go go even further down <laughs> we can. This, these weeds. But um, yeah, I think it's a great a great uh, reminder to everybody in the gig economy that you know the tax man is going to come calling. Do what you can to be prepared for it and uh, schedule some time with one of us if you need help with that. So thank you again for being on with us. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to the New Money Habits podcast brought to you by New Money Habits and Keeping Up with the Joneses Financial Coaching. Submit your questions to our host by emailing podcast at newmoneyhabits.com. Be sure to subscribe to be notified of future episodes. Join our growing group of like-minded people on Facebook and follow us on your favorite platform. Music provided by Summer School.